Okay, good morning. Well, good morning and Merry Christmas to you. If you want to be making your way to your seat, we are about to begin. So it is good to see you on this Christmas Eve morning. So as you come in, just two announcements for the kids. Remember, we only have childcare this morning through kindergarten. So for older kids, if you would like a candy cane and activity booklet, Ms. Molly has provided those for you there on the table in the hall and the table in the back of the sanctuary. So feel free to grab one of those. And let me also just want to invite all of you back this evening. We have our annual Christmas Eve service of carols, communion, and candlelight. That's a different service Then this morning, the service tonight will be a service of singing Christmas carols. You'll hear the scriptures read uh, from different scripture readers, and then we'll celebrate communion together. There's no child here for that. It's about a 45-minute service as we get to sing different Christmas carols to candlelight as we close out tonight. So carols, communion, and candlelight tonight, 5 p.m. here. Hope you'll all be back for that. Bring your family with you for a special family service together this evening. Now, as I think about Christmas Eve and the Christmas season, we want to begin with our Advent candle this morning, the candle of love. And so we have some scripture readings and lighting our final candle before we sing this morning. Psalm 33, 4 through 5. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. 1 John 4, 9 through 11. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Well, let's stand as we sing about the love of God we celebrate this Christmas.
Isaiah 9, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And from Philippians 2, Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Father, thank you. You keep your promises. And you promised even from the beginning that there would be a Savior. And that is what we celebrate during this season, is your coming to earth, the incarnation, you stepping down to come to humble yourself, to become a human, and to be obedient even to death on a cross. So Lord, we thank you for that. We want to continue to worship you with that full truth in mind, 
that at every bit, everything that we give thanks for today, that we celebrate today among family and friends, that we would have an idea, just a connection to you and to your fulfilled promises. And Lord, we thank you that this unites us with our brothers and sisters across the globe, especially those that live in countries that where they cannot openly celebrate. We pray for a sense of your peace, that you would show yourself as the Prince of Peace to these brothers and sisters as they continue to carry your gospel forth to the ends of the earth. And Lord, we pray for those who are suffering this season, God, that uh, are suffering loss, loss of family, loss of friends, loss of so much. And we just ask that you would be here and remind them of your presence, that Lord, you do heal, that you are God, the healer, both of wounds seen and unseen. And God, we thank you for that. And Lord, we know that your coming to earth shows us your love for us, that you care about us. And Lord, we want to respond to that in worship. So we worship you today. And Lord, as we go now to hear your word preached, we pray that it would do its work in our hearts, that it would cut us, that it would divide us all the way down to our soul and spirit to show the attitudes and the intentions of the heart that Lord we might be laid bare before you and then come to you our great high priest who shed his blood for us who is tempted in every way that we were but did not sin and thus you were able to shed your blood for us please keep those things on our mind today as we hear your word we pray all this in the name of Jesus amen You know, as we, over the past several weeks, we've been singing reminders of Jesus' birth, just as we've done this morning. We've been lighting the Advent candles to remind us of the hope and the joy and the peace and the love we celebrate at Christmas. You've experienced Christmas traditions in many ways, friends, but why? Why are we so excited about this season? Why are we so excited about the birth of Jesus? In other words, why did Jesus come? There's a danger for us at Christmas in the midst of all the busyness and the midst of the traditions and all the fun things we have to do, we can lose sight of that question. I can lose sight of it and you can lose sight of that, of what this Christmas season is really all about. So I want us to pause Genesis on this Christmas Eve morning and to remind ourselves of that simple question and the glorious truth that God's Word shares with us and the answer to it. So I want you to find Galatians chapter 4 and your copy of God's Word this morning, Galatians chapter 4. Because here in Galatians 4, you find one of the most beautiful yet one of the most succinct descriptions about the birth of Jesus. And here you find the answer to the question of why did Jesus come. So Galatians chapter 4, this morning we're going to be looking at verses 4 and 5, just two verses today. And as we read these verses, I want you to be looking for what are the beautiful truths of Christmas we see here. Because in just a short two verses... Paul reminds us of these beautiful truths that we celebrate the Christmas season. Things we've been singing about, things we've been thinking about and reading about in the scriptures. He reminds us of those truths. And yet then he points us to the reason Jesus came. The reason that I need and the reason that you need as well. So Galatians 4, 4 and 5. Can I ask you to stand please in honor of the reading of the word of God? Galatians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 4 and I'm reading out the English Standard Version. We also have the words on the screen for you. 
But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Before I pray for us, in fact, I want us to read this out loud together. This is short and this is beautiful. So I know we all read out different translations, so, so it's coherent. If you'll read it off the screen, so we're all reading out the ESV this morning. But let's, let's read this out loud together. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Father, I pray as we think about these glorious truths this morning, you would fill our hearts with awe and wonder. Lord, many of us have read the Christmas story for decades of our life. We've thought about it many times. So I pray the familiarity of Christmas would not cause us to miss the wonder of what you have done for us. And so help us worship you and have all in you for all you've done. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So why did Jesus come? Verse 5 answers that question for us, but verse 5 builds on the truths of verse 4. So I want to start with verse 4 this morning with the truths that we see about Christmas, these things that many of us are so familiar with, but they're so glorious and so wondrous this morning. So I want to look at several truths about Christmas, several reminders we need from verse 4 this morning. The first thing that verse 4 reminds us of is a reminder of who we are celebrating. Now, we can, most of us can all give the Sunday school answer of who Christmas is about and who we are celebrating at Christmas. Yet, if we are honest, our minds and our hearts often lose the sense of what the season is really supposed to be about. So let's begin here the verse 4 of what Christmas is really all about. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. Now, let's just pause right there. Paul is reminding us here that God the Father sent God the Son. And just for clarity's sake, God the Son is just one of the many titles for Jesus. You see that all the way back in Mark's gospel and the good news Mark records in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. I think we have that up on the screen for you where you see Jesus being linked to it. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So when we look here in verse 4, as Paul's telling us, in the fullness of time become God, that's God the Father, sent forth his Son. That's God the Son, that is Jesus. So here in verse 4, you have two of the three persons of the Trinity, the one God who exists in three persons. Here you have the Father and the Son. If you look ahead to verse 6, you see a reference to the Spirit as well. And because you were sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So there in verse 6, you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all in this text about what we celebrate at Christmas. Now that means two huge things for us. Number one, that means the entire Godhead... Father, Son, and Spirit were all involved in what we celebrate at Christmas. Yes, we talk about Christmas being the birth of Christ. But this is the plan of the one eternal God. This is the plan of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from eternity past to do what God had planned to do. So when Jesus came, when Jesus was born in that manger in Bethlehem, he was doing what God the Father had ordained to be done. John chapter 6, verse 38. Notice what Jesus says. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. That's the will of the Father. And what was the Father's mission that he sent Jesus to do? We saw it last week, but Luke chapter 19, verse 10. The Son of Man, which is another title of Jesus, he came to seek and to save the lost. 
But that's not just the plan of the Father and the plan of the Son. It's also the work of the Holy Spirit who continues to do that today. John chapter 15, verse 26. You see that. But when the Helper, another title for the Holy Spirit, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father. So there again, you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me. So yes, at Christmas we celebrate the birth of Christ, but do not lose sight of the fact this is the work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one true God and three persons working together in unity and perfect harmony and accomplishing God's plan. So back to verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. So it means the entire God has involved in what we celebrate at Christmas. But it means a second thing that I think many of you know, but let's just remind ourselves. This means Jesus did not begin when he was born in Bethlehem. Jesus is eternal. He is God who has always existed as God the Son. But even before the world was made, Jesus was God the Son. Before there was even time, Jesus was God the Son. That's when Jesus can say what he did in John chapter 8, verse 58, which is so stunning. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He's using present tense because he has always existed. The one born in the manger in Bethlehem is the eternal God who has always existed. That's why John begins his gospel the way he does in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, another name for Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. Then verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So the one we are celebrating at Christmas is the same creator of the world who eternally has existed as God the Son. Now, friends, we know that truth, but I think we miss how mind-blowing that is sometimes. That the one who spoke the earth into being willingly came and was born on the earth he had spoken into existence and was held by a human that he had created. The one who needs nothing, who's completely independent, chose to come as a baby and be dependent on a human mother to care for him. But it gets even more mind-blowing because the same Jesus we celebrate at Christmas not only is the one who made it all, He's the one who sustains it all as well. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, an exact imprint of his nature. And he, Jesus, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. But notice that phrase there, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That means the one who is sleeping soundly in Mary's arms was at the same time upholding the universe by the word of his power. So if you want something to ponder while you go to sleep on this Christmas Eve night, think about that. Mary is holding a sleeping baby who's sustaining the entire universe and her by the word of his power. That is the one we are celebrating at this Christmas season. So back to verse 4 of Galatians 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. So Paul is beginning by reminding us that Jesus is eternally, forever God the Son, who came in perfect harmony with the Father and the Spirit on a very specific mission. There's a second reminder of Christmas here in verse 4, and that's when Jesus came. Notice how verse 4 begins. But when the fullness of time had come. I love this phrase, the fullness of time. It simply means at exactly the right time. So 2,000 plus years ago was a time when God ordained was the right time for Jesus to come. It was not some plan B. It was not God in heaven going, okay, they've made enough of a mess now. I guess we need to step into this. This was a time God had ordained from before he even made time for when he wanted to accomplish his purposes. Now, looking back and seeing the revelation of God, we see the wisdom of God and when Jesus came. 
You see spiritually how people were ready at the time, how the captivity of God's people in Babylon had helped free many of the Jewish people from idolatry. The hundreds of silent years had many people who loved God longing for a Messiah. The Old Testament revelation was complete at this point. And so those who were trusting for the Messiah to come had everything they needed to be able to recognize that Jesus was coming. That's why Jesus says in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, and beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures. That's the Old Testament, the things concerning himself. This wasn't that all of a sudden things changed with the New Testament era. God had been pointing to the Messiah from the beginning, and so people who were longing for the Messiah could see who Jesus was. So spiritually, the world was ready linguistically the world was ready much of the world had a common language in greek and so god's heart from the beginning for the nations to know him was set in place as many people from different ethnicities could all read the same language in which the new testament would be written culturally god had established through the roman empire peace and roads and so messages could spread and so you see the gospel quickly spreading like in the book of acts but just to be clear here this wasn't god in heaven waiting for humans to put all this in place so jesus could come God was the one orchestrating all those things from the Roman peace to the universalness of the Greek language at the time to the hearts of his people who were ready. God was orchestrating all this because this is when he and his sovereign wisdom had decided the time was right for the Messiah to come. And so 2,000 plus years ago was in God's eyes in verse 4, the fullness of time, the time God had ordained from before time even began. And so Paul reminds us these truths at Christmas of who Jesus is the eternal God who is God himself, who's here to do the will of the Father. He reminds us that Jesus came in God's perfect time. Of number three, he reminds us when Jesus, or how Jesus came. This is what we think perhaps most about, what we see in the Christmas story, what we're going to read more of tonight. But the truth that was told to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. As he considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is the truth that was told to the shepherds in the field that night in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Why? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, and lying in a manger. And all those glorious truths of how Jesus came is summarized in one phrase for us back in verse 4 this morning. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman. During that one little phrase, born of woman, we see captured all that we have just been talking about and reading of what was told to Joseph and told to the shepherds. And again, friends, we hear it year after year, but do not miss the wonder of this. The eternal God who has no beginning, chose to come to his creation in human form. He left the glories of heaven to be born through the process of human birth. And if you've watched the process of human birth, it is not necessarily a pretty thing to watch. And God chose to enter humanity, to take on human flesh and be born the way all of us were born. And think of what he left to do that. Philippians chapter 2. Jeff read it in the prayer, but I want to see it again. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But verse 7, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
that Jesus left the glories of heaven. Jesus left the praise of all those crazy creatures you see in Scripture around the throne, the praise of all the saints who go before in heaven. He left all the things he deserved, all the glory he had, and he left it and came born the way all of us were born on that what we celebrate at Christmas. He did not come as he deserved. He humbled himself to accomplish the will of God. And so here in verse 4, we see already the reminder of who Jesus is, when he came, and how he came of the virgin in Bethlehem in these humble beginnings. But verse 4 reminds us of one more thing. It reminds us how Jesus lived after he was born. Don't skip the last phrase. Go back to verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law. So yes, Jesus came as a baby boy, born in a manger in Bethlehem, but he was specifically born as a Jewish baby boy. So he grew up under the law, the Mosaic law that governed God's people. That's why he was circumcised on the eighth day. That's why the Torah was read in his home. That's why he went to the temple. That's why he went to the festivals. That's why he kept the feast. And that's why even Jesus celebrated the Passover, the very feast that was pointing people to what he would do, the feast that we would now celebrate tonight as the Lord's Supper. He would do all those things. But even more, he perfectly kept the law, the commands. Boys and girls, do you realize Jesus never raised his voice at his parents? He never once lied. He never once had an impure thoughts. He perfectly kept the law that you and I break every single day. That's why as we study 1 Peter, in 1 Peter 2, we're told of Jesus that he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. The God who gave the law chose to be born under that law, to keep that law so he could take the punishment that we deserve for breaking that law. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us the glorious truth that for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So in him and Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. So Paul in verse 4 gives us so many just short phrases that capture what Christmas is all about. Who Jesus is, when he came, how he came, how he lived. But Paul's telling us that not for us just to go, well that's a nice historical story. He's building to something. And that's of verse 5. He's building to remind us of the reason why Jesus came. And look at verse 5. All the things we just read point to this. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now there's two big phrases here in verse 5. Notice the word to at the beginning of verse 5. In the middle of verse 5, notice the phrase so that. Now in our English, those get translated differently. In Greek, those are the exact same word both times. In Greek, it's the word hina, which is a purpose clause. It tells you the reason for something. So more literally, we're told when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who are under law, in order to give them adoption as sons. So we have the same phrase repeated twice, two purposes for why Jesus came that are so closely intertwined here. What's the first of those? First part of verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law. So Jesus came, everything we just read, all the glories that we celebrate Christmas, he came to redeem those under the law. You see, friends, God requires everyone to follow the law, and God requires perfect and perpetual obedience, which I don't do and you don't do either. We daily sin in our thoughts, we daily sin in our speech, we daily sin in our affections, we daily sin in our actions, and so Jesus comes to redeem us. Now, what does it mean to redeem in the ancient world, redeem was a term used to free a slave by buying their freedom. So Jesus came to purchase our freedom. Now we need to let that sink in because Christmas is not an account of how wonderful we are. And Jesus wanted to come be with us because we're so great, such great people. 
Christmas is showing us how awful we are that Jesus had to come because it was the only way to redeem us. Christmas does not paint us in a good light. Christmas reminds us how awful I am and how awful you are apart from Christ. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 reminds us of our fallen condition. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That is where I start. That's where you start. We are all born as slaves to our sin. We all start out far from God, and we all have zero hope of getting to God on our own. So Christmas and the baby in the manger is not because we're so great. The reason Jesus came and was born is because this is our condition and we have no hope on our own of getting to him. So he comes to do what we cannot do. Go back to verse 5. He comes to redeem those who were under the law. He came to purchase my redemption and your redemption. How did he do it? We see it in Galatians 3 in the previous chapter. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So Christmas is ultimately here pointing us back to Easter, pointing us forward to Easter, that Christ came to live the perfect life, to fulfill the law we break so he could die in our place and take the punishment that we deserve. Friends, you've heard me say it many times, but God is so holy, no sin is unpunished. Either Christ takes it for us or we will bear it for all eternity. Every sin is punished. And so Christ came, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law. He came to forgive us and to make a way for our sins to be forgiven. And that's an incredible gift. And if it stopped there, that'd be amazing. But God didn't stop there. He came to do more than just forgive us and send us on our way. And that's the second purpose clause, the second Hena clause here of verse 5. So that, in order that, here's the second reason Jesus came and everything happened, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Christmas is to remind us that Jesus came to adopt us. Because on the cross, Christ not only gained our freedom, he adopted us to be part of his family. That means if you are in Christ, you belong to God. You have a new identity, but you also have a new nature. So I was studying this text this week. One of the authors I read says something that just made me pause and think about the glories of what God has done for us in adoption. He contrasted it with human adoption. Here's what this guy said. He said, human adoptions are very special but they do not change a child's nature. The change is legal and relational, but there's no inner transformation of the child. But when God adopts a person into his family, he changes who he or she is from the inside out. In Christ, we become new creatures. We receive new spiritual DNA, God's own, in fact. How does that happen? God changes our nature by sending the spirit of his son into our hearts. And there, in the very core of our being, his spirit remains and resides. He never departs, but more than that, he transforms us, starting from the inside and steadily working his way out over time, consuming the whole of who we are. Jesus came to adopt us, and that means he came to change us and transform us, which is the very thing that Paul will say in verse 6 in the text, the verse right after our text this morning. Look ahead to verse 6. And because you are sons, because you are now adopted, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Friends, Jesus came not only to forgive us our sins, he came to transform us, to change us, to make us more like Christ, like Romans 8, 29 tells us. Romans 8, 29, I think we have on screen. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Jesus came, not just so we have a nice Christmas story of a baby in a manger, 
He came to live that perfect life under the law to fulfill the law so he could die in our place, not just to redeem us, but to adopt us, and not just to adopt us so we have a new identity and go, I belong, but to adopt us so he changes us so that we become more like him. So go back to our text this morning. Look at verses 4 and 5 together as a whole. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law too, in order to redeem those who were under the law, in order to, that we might have freedom, for, to, we might receive adoption as sons. So let's bring all that together. Here's the key truth I want you to see from this text this morning. I think you've already seen this. But Jesus was born as a human baby so, he could, so you could be transformed as an adopted child of God. Now, he came and was born so that you could be adopted into his family. Friends, Christmas is not just a nice story from 2,000 years ago. If you know Jesus, Christmas should be very personal. Because Christmas reminds us that on our own we were far from God. That we were lost in our sins and we deserve nothing but eternal hell and wrath. And we can never get to God on our own, but God pursued us. More than 2,000 years ago in his pursuit of us that he had planned before time began... He appointed the perfect time for God the Son to come to leave the glories of heaven, to humble himself, to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem, in a stable, in a manger, and for that Jesus to grow up, to keep the law that I break and that you break, for him to keep it perfectly so he could joyfully go to that cruel Roman cross, to be executed in the most hideous way possible, invented by man, so that he could redeem us, so that he could forgive us, so that he could adopt us, so that he could transform us, so that we become more like him. Jesus was born as a human baby, what we celebrate at Christmas, so that you can be transformed as an adopted child of God. That's the truth of Galatians 4 here, but I want to also give us a challenge this morning. As you celebrate Christmas today and tomorrow and the days to come, and my challenge for you is this, friends. When you think about the birth of Christ, let the manger point you to the cross. When you think about the birth of Christ, let the manger, what we're celebrating at Christmas, point you to the cross, what we celebrate at Easter. That's the very truth that I believe that Paul is putting before us, is showing us how the Christmas story points us to the Easter story and to redemption. By that, I want to close with a quote I read this week. It's from a guy named Philip Ryken. He's a seminary professor. He also is one of the translators of the ESV Bible that I use. But I want you to see this. This is what he said. He said, Do we, can we go back one screen, Sander? I think we have one before that. Christ had to be born before he could die. Of course, there could be no Easter without Christmas. But God the Son was born of the Virgin in order to die on the cross. And notice this, Christianity is not a religion of stable and straw. Now go to the next screen of this. It is a religion of thorn and nails, wood and blood. The incarnation cannot save us without the crucifixion. Christ did not redeem us by his life alone. He redeemed us through his death. And friends, the phrase that just struck me this week when I was thinking about it, Christianity is not a religion of stable and straw. It's a religion of thorn and nails. And I wonder if one reason why Christmas even culturally is so much more popular than Easter is because a stable and straw don't threaten us, but thorns and nails do. A stable and straw doesn't seem, doesn't remind us necessarily how offensive our lives are, but the thorn and nails do. But they're, to, they're together in God's eternal plan that we are so awful in our sin that Christ had to, be, to come to be born in a stable and straw, but so that he could see the thorns and the nails. The incarnation cannot save us without the crucifixion. Friends, Jesus was born as a human baby 
so you could be transformed as an adopted child of God. So I want to ask you this morning, friends, this Christmas, can you say with confidence that you know that God has adopted you, that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you belong to God, that you can say, yes, I have hope in my heart because of Christ. I have joy in my heart because of Christ. I have peace in my heart because of Christ. I have love in my heart because of Christ. Can you say this Christmas that you know you're an adopted child of God, not because of anything you have done, but because God pursued you. He redeemed you, he adopted you, and he has transformed you. Friends, if not, what better time of year to let the manger point you to the cross and to remember what Christ came to do for you. And if you do know this, I pray that the multitude of reminders you have over the next few days, from the music to the the Bible readings to the celebrations, would all point you from the manger to the cross as well. And would fill your heart with awe and thankfulness that before time began... God already knew he was going to make you. God already knew that you would rebel against him, but he chose not to leave you in your sins, but rather in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. I pray that would be a cause of hope and celebration for you this Christmas season. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your great grace that you do not treat us as our sins deserve, that you've not left us lost in our sins when we were so far from you. But God, you pursued us. And even before time began, you already had put in place the plan that would happen at the fullness of time. And so I pray for myself and for these precious brothers and sisters that as we celebrate Christmas Eve tonight and Christmas Day tomorrow and have time with friends and family and we read your word and we sing the Christmas carols and we go to the Christmas parties and we travel or stay home or all the things we do, God, I pray the manger would point us to the cross and you would fill our hearts with awe and wonder that you have pursued us, that you have made a way not just for us to be redeemed, but you have made a way for us to be adopted. And I pray that as we celebrate that saving grace that is possible simply because of what Christ has done, that we'd experience what verse 6 said this morning, that your spirit in our hearts would let us crowd, Abba, Father. This Christmas season, we would know we belong to you. We would know that we are yours, and we would see your transforming grace at work in our lives, making us more like Christ. So this Christmas season, Lord, would you be freeing us from sin's patterns in our lives and sin's strongholds in our life? Would you be freeing us to love you more and to worship you more? And I pray that all these reminders of the manger would point us to the cross this Christmas season, that we might be able to praise you and thank you for your great grace that you've poured out on us. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song and think about the grace of Christ?
sorry, but take a minute and just praise God for that hope and thank Him for it. Father, you've heard the praises of your people in song and in prayer, and even now, just as they're quietly praying to you, thanking you for the grace and the hope they have. I pray you'll be stirring our hearts to have hearts of thankfulness this Christmas season, to think about the redemption we have in Christ, but to think about the adoption we have in Christ, and think about the hope we have, not just now, but for all eternity. So we give you the praise, and I pray if there's any who are here, child or adult, who do not have the hope we've just sung about, who do not know they're adopted toward God, would you let this be the Christmas season? That you draw them to yourself and you, they call it to you in faith and repentance and belief and find the hope that we've been talking and singing about. Lord, have your way in each one of our hearts this Christmas season. For your glory and for our joy, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Hope to see you back at five tonight. Merry Christmas.